0: Welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. My name's Dr. Will Duffin, GP and Medical Director. When you think of extreme medicine, the first thing that jumps to mind might be Everest ER. It might be all helicopters, rope stretchers, ice axes and bearded blokes in North Face jackets shouting military jargon into crackling radios. Yes, it can be that, but let me tell you that extreme medicine takes many guises. And our great project at WEM is to celebrate the sheer diversity of medics who are out there from all backgrounds, cultures and walks of life. We celebrate those that are also bold and adventurous in their thought and their spirit. Those that choose to follow their own authentic path, not the one that society's neatly laid out for them. And today we have a truly exceptional and unique guest Dr Hinemoa Elder. She's our first New Zealander to feature on the podcast and our first psychiatrist. In a previous life Hinemoa was a children's tv presenter on the Bugs Bunny show but nowadays she's a mum of two grown-up kids and a consultant child and adolescent psychiatrist with an interest in traumatic brain injury and forensics. She's a passionate advocate for women in science and an author. She was also a participant in our ocean medicine course in Plymouth back in 2017. Hinemoa is deeply in touch with her indigenous Maori roots. And today we're exploring some of the themes in her book, Aroha that was published last year by Penguin Random House, in which she reflects on ancient Maori wisdom. Aroha is an ancient Maori word that means love, compassion, respect and empathy, values we all seek to embody, and her book is filled with powerful life lessons. January, for many, is a time of rebirth and renewal. Many of us are quietly contemplating how we might find greater contentment and kindness for ourselves, each other and the world, especially during that this pandemic, so I'm sure there will be some insights in this episode that will help you on your path. And this episode's firmly in the domain of of self improvement and, and well being. So keep listening to find out uh, why hope won't get you crayfish, and why sometimes you have to chew on the shit stick. Trust me, it will all become clear. Uh, Hinemoa Kiora, welcome to Wemcast.
1: Kiora, namahi Thank you for that lovely introduction.
0: Is that snoring I can hear in the background?
1: <laughs> yes, my my uh, Neapolitan Mastiff, Bear, he's he's an old gentleman now, and he has a rather um, loud snore. So yes, if <laughs> our viewers and listeners can hear snoring, that's the dog. He's
0: in a Bear. deep slumber. I like that. Yes,
1: yeah. he, he is, he's very chill. <laughs>
0: And we, you first uh, came into contact with Wem through the Ocean Medicine course. I'm sure you have some, some fond memories of that. T- tell us what that was like.
1: Oh, absolutely. Look, it was wonderful. Um, I'm, uh, I'm trying to follow in the footsteps of some of my ancestors, great ocean-going navigators. And one of my dreams yeah. is to be doctor on board a double hull waka traveling across the Pacific so far I do do a lot of waka armor which is a paddling sport I haven't haven't been on a double hull waka yet but that's to come so that's one of the reasons I went to the ocean medicine course in Plymouth Hoe, and I dug out my uh, my license my powerboat license and and um, I was I was thinking about Ginge Crook who who had to put up with my pathetic efforts um, on the power boat to start with. I, I was not the best student, but yeah, big shout out to Claire Bailey and, and Nick Carter and Alex Rowe and Nola Moore, um, all of our wonderful tutors. Um, Catherine Buckland was part of the organizing committee and she took care of us. It was a fantastic course. So I commend it to anyone watching or listening. Very, very practical and useful.
0: Oh, I'm glad you found it, found it useful. Um, so you uh, you've reinvented yourself a few times in, in your career um, and you've gone, you, you're you're a jobbing uh, psychiatrist, you're in clinic today uh, and you've gone and penned a book. This is your first book. How do you go about writing a book as someone that's not an established author? Where, where, where did that all come from?
1: Yeah, so it, it came from a number of sources, I suppose, you know, I've been, a, I've been a consultant now for around uh, 16 years and in the course of my career, having done a PhD and a postdoc looking at Maori ways of thinking in relation to traumatic brain injury, um, I'd been mulling over this, um, the cultural silence, if you will, in much of our healthcare system. We we know that there are enormous amounts of wisdom and, and indigenous science which don't always come forward and support our people. There's almost a million people who are Maori on the planet right now. And unfortunately we face massive health inequities across any range of conditions that you care to mention. Our our, our life expectancy remains less than that of non-Maori people. And so um, in the course of those deliberations, I thought, hmm, what, what part can I play to bring some of these uh, nuggety bits of ancient wisdom in the form of these proverbs, which are nice and short, um, relatively easy to remember, and, and they provide a, a natural um, key that opens the door to our culture. So, I, I distilled all those elements and I'd been writing a, a newspaper column for a while so I'd had a little bit of practice of non-scientific writing and that gave me some confidence uh, and then the, the editor from the UK publishing house, Penguin Random House, contacted me and said, hey, why don't you write a book for us? So I thought, well, I better, I better get stuck in and this is, this is what, uh, what emerged, yeah.
0: And here it is. I've got a copy in my hand. Uh, it's and it's a lovely little book. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, and wh- what we're going to do in this episode is I've picked out 10 of my favourite uh, Fakatokis. Uh, this is Maori Proverbs. There's 52, one for each week of the year, but my, my, my top 10. Uh, and I'm going uh, to invite Hinemoa to reflect on these. And I th- hopefully you'll uh, find some some wisdom, some, some some useful nuggets within within this.
1: Sure. So, where do you want to start? Uh,
0: so, I quite let's start with number eight. So, uh, I'll just read out. Maybe you can um, read the the Maori uh, translation. So, first, clear the weeds, then plant. Make time sure. for mind weeding.
1: Yeah. So, um, in in our language, in Te Reo Maori, the proverb, the Fakatoki, goes like this: Inaki e ana a múa, e toto mai ana so yes, as you say, first take out the weeds and then plant. And and as a psychiatrist, of course, I'm very interested in how how I personally and how we collectively might consider the detritus that we carry around in our minds, and thinking of that as this as the weeds um, that that. We from time to time need to think about clearing out, and and I've been thinking about this more in the context of COVID. Um, you know, this is the lens through which we're we're thinking about life, aren't we, all of us right now, in all of our myriad of ways across the globe. And I suppose one of one of the things I was thinking about was how how differently our different governments, our different local national. Um, responses have been to COVID. And, and some of those things have been based on these, these um, assumptions, these uh, ways of approaching a problem at scale. And, and I think it's fair to say that a lot of our institutions and our infrastructure has been shown to be wanting. And, and so I think this this proverb, this is is very relevant in this context and our leaders need to um, be robust in making sure that they're weeding out old ways of thinking that actually doesn't serve uh, our communities facing the the, the the gnarly problems that COVID has presented us with, you know, so really acting with some kind of um, swiftness, being decisive, and also communicating differently with the public, you know, um, Clearing out the weeds is also about clearing out the weeds of how we supposedly communicate science or we supposedly communicate um, evidence, which generally speaking, I think you'd agree, tends to be quite dry, tends to put people off. um, And and our governments have had to rethink that and some of them have been slower to, to really adjust to... How to use uh, modern technology so for an an example in Aotearoa New Zealand here we have a uh, we have a tracer app which during different periods of the intensity of lockdown people got better at using it but as we've as we've shifted into um, having to be less rigorous people are not using the tracer app so again this theme of hang on what are the weeds that are growing in our thinking here let's let's get rid of those and refresh so that our our actions are based on relevant thinking in the moment
0: yes I, you see you see that in both the context of personal weed removal uh, and I think <laughs> lockdown and and um, uh, and this pandemic have been a great opportunity where there's less distraction perhaps we can't go travel there's not much. Uh, going on, we can't go out to restaurants and theaters or whatever you normally do. Uh, so it is a time where we, we we can have a bit of time to space and reflection. But also on a societal level, you you, you argue that you know our, our, our politicians, our governments, this is the chance for them to. Uh, to reset things to uh, to start afresh, and and there's that great phrase, uh, "Never waste a crisis." That that's you know, There's a better time than any to uh, redefine our uh, um, re- rethink some of the, the problems that we're faced with on a societal level.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I think it just illustrates to me that um, these these ways of thinking that very much draw from nature. You know, our ancestors used the natural world. As a way to um, give lessons and to help people um, to carry these portable ways of um, being grounded and coming back to some sort of sense of, hang on, how might I, um, how might I work out what to do in a certain situation? So that's how these fakatoki uh, work.
0: Yes. Can you think of any practical steps? that so for listeners who might want to some weeds out of their mind perhaps that's just (laughs) ideas or 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 things that aren't serving them anymore things the beliefs that are misplaced perhaps what 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 could you do perhaps to to actually do that that mind clearing what what kind of practices would would help with yeah
1: look I I think there's a whole range of things and it's very personal isn't it so one of one of the things I suggest in the book and I I think can be helpful is that we all notice at different times of the month and the Maori. Um, calendar is a lunar calendar, so that we notice at different times of the month we have different kind of energy and different different um, resources that are available in the mind, in the heart, in the gut, in the muscles, in in the in the whole being, if you like. So it's about reflecting on what are good days for this kind of sitting quietly, reflecting on habits, reflecting on how how do i tend to go about things how do i respond you know we're going we're talking to a lot of people who work in emergency situations and how do we how do we really reflect in a in a robust and constructive way about the last situation we were in the last expedition we were in what worked what didn't work how do we take account of our own our own sort of personal Um, tendencies you know we all have strengths and we all have blinkers we don't really like to look too closely at the things that we don't tend to do well but in fact those are the very weeds if you like that we need to attend to so I I would encourage people to reflect on their uh, the good the good times of the day or the month that um, naturally they would get into that zone where they're going to be kind to themselves. Um, this is not about being harsh or or um, beating yourself up. You know, we, we all suffer from high unrelenting standards. That's, that's the kind of people we are. And recognizing that and then um, thinking about, mm, is that really serving me right now? Or could that be putting my work and other people's work at risk?
0: Yes. One practice I've found very useful, I've been doing for just over a year now is journaling, and that's just writing some of these thoughts down, um, right. just putting pen to paper. And I, I found that very, uh, very cathartic uh, and very nourishing because um, it's you can read back through your entries on a previous day and it really gives you a sense of progress and growth. You think I can't believe I thought that back then, you know, and, and, and you identify, you reveal some of these weeds in your mind and it gives you the opportunity to. To plant new thoughts, new ideas that might serve you better. Um, uh, and yeah. So some of it, what you're doing is gratitude. You're grateful for what, what you've uh, what you what you have. So it's very much in the realm of positive psychology. But also, uh, there's a there's an element of affirmation in there. You can write down in statements of intent. So I know I don't want to be like this. I not want to be doing this anymore. Let's start doing yeah. this, and then you read back through it, and um, you know a, a journal entry from three months ago, and think, "Oh, I actually did that. I'm doing that now. It's just part of who I am, and it's it's an amazing sense of progress." So, uh, yes,
1: yeah, that's a great idea. One other yeah. little um, trick that I've that I've used with uh, some of my registrars and colleagues and um, PhD students is to set your timer on your phone for ten minutes oh, yeah. and to write solidly for ten minutes. And if you can't think of the word, just write. I can't think of the word right now, but it's something along the lines of blah, 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 and just continue to write. And and that itself is also a very useful practice because sometimes people get stuck with words and they're like, oh, I'm not sure. Just write. I'm not sure what the right word is. And you'll, you'll find a flow. So yeah, great idea. Journaling is, is a... Fantastic practice.
0: Let's look at um, uh, whakatoki number 15. So this okay. is uh, like the nectar of the flax flower. What does what does that mean, Hinamawa?
1: Yeah, meti korari. So this is about joy in small things. There are elements of nature all around us. For people who live in high rises, um, there are clouds out the window. The sun comes up and goes down the moon comes out, there are stars sometimes, even when there's pollution and, and smog and such things. So there are birds that we see. And um, our, our ancestors, our old people, bring us back to that. There's always something in nature that you can focus your mind upon. And I I, I talk in the book about watching some beautiful native birds here called Tui. They're the parson bird. They have the little white... Um, uh, they're almost like poi, under under the, the throat. And they, they're they great imitators. They're beautiful singers. And they love to uh, drink the nectar from the harakiki flowers, the yeah. flax flowers around where I live. And, you know, I, I think it might sound really simple and basic, but actually I, there's there's some profound stuff in there. Drawing your mind back to simple, beauty in nature is, is um, it it brings us into a humble space. It reminds us, you know, we're just part of this ecosystem. We're part of this interconnected, interconnected um, ecosystem of, of all of the things around us, which was much more the, the philosophy, the way of life for our old people. Um, Even, even um, when I go home to the far North, you know, when people live in the countryside, live beside the ocean, we're much more aware of things like the tide, um, the weather patterns, because those things influence your survival. So if you, um, and I know that those those of our, of our viewers and listeners who are, um, you know, extreme medicine people in the conventional sense, and who go up mountains and go into, you know, ravines and come and look after people in in tsunamis and earthquakes and things, these practitioners are also exquisitely attuned to um, signals and clues from nature. You know, that was certainly something from the um, ocean medicine course too that I was at. You know, people like uh, Nuala Moore and, and swimming in the icy water, you know, that they have a certain... Um, subspecialty set of skills around noticing all the clues Mm. help them to survive in those extreme environments. So I I think this is is a really important one. And I love the fact that you you enjoyed this one. Um, It actually also reminded me of uh, some of the research that I've been reading in the COVID um, setting and how our world has responded so quickly Um, Many people will be aware about the changes in the air quality in different parts of the world, uh, changes in the ocean, and also there's some really interesting research about birdsong in the San Francisco Bay area. So they've been following these birds for many years and during COVID, no, no vehicles, very few people around, the bird song has changed. And I love the analogy that the researchers made. They said, look, it's as if these birds in the past, pre-COVID, were having to shout across a crowded pub to their mates, what can you say? Oi, yeah. hey, you know, are we staying, are we going? But now because it's quieter, they can have a much more eloquent conversation about other, other issues. Um, isn't that a great analogy? So that's kind of what they've been hearing. And so our planet has had a chance to sort of wake up and reboot. And I hope that our governments, um, those people of influence can really push that forward so that we we don't go back to the default of pre-COVID, you know, when everyone's vaccinated and and when this pandemic is over, that we got to keep thinking about a, the next pandemic, and also B, how do what did we learn from COVID yes. around looking yes. after our planet better? So that's what yes. that's what Hawaii Korari is about for me.
0: I, I, I mean, this is the, the, what you touched on there. For me is the reason that I go, I want to go into wild places that do expedition in extreme medicine is to feel more in, in touch with the, the natural world. Um, mm. I think ever since the invention of the light bulb which is a wonderful thing you know you've got light whenever you want it you, you know you wake up whenever you want and also at yeah. uh, the clock everything is on uh is is on the hour at a certain time but, you know when we're, we're completely out of tune with the natural rhythms of the, the seasons of the day of, of the world around us And I just think it's, it's when you go into these places when you go, we go into the ocean or into the forest or the mountains that you strip some of that that those kind of artificial constructs away, and you really feel the the rhythms and the energy of nature. And I think that's not only is that a vital; it's important in terms of your own effectiveness and your own survival that you tune into those cues. But it's also very enriching, and it, it, I think it just makes 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 me feel very alive. Makes me feel uh, much more part of this planet.
1: Mm. Well, I think there's a natural alignment isn't there between yeah. people who go who seek to go into those wilderness areas into those extreme areas and indigenous thinking and indigenous mm. wisdom because mm. um, you, you're experiencing that profound connectivity under under extreme circumstances so it's almost like you know it's a massive loading dose if you like of all of that stuff you can't ignore it. In fact, you have to embrace it. You're forced to embrace it because mm. that's stuff, knowing that, is going to help you to have a successful expedition or a successful um, rescue mission. And um, and so that's why I think actually, you know, World Extreme Medicine has a really important role at the moment because because uh, there's a there's a community there of people who have had those experiences and who value them, and to help. The wider community really understand why that's so vital that we we can't lose that.
0: Absolutely, I, I yeah I couldn't agree more. Let's um, and, and of course the the joy in small things for me that also speaks to the the, the explosion of interest in uh, mindfulness that the whole movement of mindfulness of 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 noticing of of being attuned to the details in life and transforming daily routines into into kind of meaningful rituals and um it's just very interesting to see um uh, kind of the the roots of some of these very um widely uh, held practices that are Quite ubiquitous across across the kind of well-being space in in, in our modern era, that the, the roots of those lay in uh, in ancient wisdom like like this. And and just re- remind us, um, uh, Hinemo, how ancient I- are these uh, fakatokis? W- when were these? When did these come to be? When was this all first uh, written?
1: yeah well look it's hard to it's hard to really pinpoint this but just to give a a, a sort of frame of reference um and maybe just to back up one step before i do that so we have fakatoki. this is the word for general proverbs where we don't know the originator but we do have some which we call fakatoaki, where we know the person who coined the phrase and so there are some in the book that are very old. Uh, one in particular by one of my Tupuna, one, one of my ancestors, a man called Nuku Tafiti. We know that he lived in around 750 AD. So we know that that many of these um come from at least at least that time.
0: Yes, and, and, and this, so it's an it's an ancient tradition. And and is it is it mostly through the oral tradition that these fuckutokis have been passed down? Or have they been written as well?
1: Absolutely. So, of course, we, we are an oral culture, um, and and then we were also quick to take up technology such as writing, and now they're, they're written. So so the fact that these very, very old sayings and and um, exquisitely delicious little nuggets of, of, of thinking have survived means that they've been useful for a long, long time. And now... Um, over, over recent decades, there's been a movement to encourage people to write whakatauaki for now. So um, one, of, one of the women that um, is, is included in the book, Fire Moi Milne, one of our um, very esteemed leaders from the North, she, she continues to encourage us to write whakatauaki um, so we know who the people are who are coining these sayings for the contemporary world, drawing on that tradition. So really, we're part of that line, that lineage of tradition that harks back to ancient times and that flows through into future generations.
0: And at the end, Henemo is going to tell you how you can write your own whakatoki. Uh, we'll, we'll come on to that shortly. Uh, so whakatoki number 25, the bird that eats the myro berries, theirs is the forest. The birds that The bird that consumes knowledge, the world is theirs
1: right yes temanu kai middle. Te no nothing temanu kai mapuranga no te ao. so the bird the manu that eats the middle berries and these are beautiful little red berries from the middle tree is this is the world of the forest of the ngahiri but the bird that eats uh, knowledge they can they can know the world so it's a it's a wonderful um it's a very classic, a very famous fakatoki. Uh, this one, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's lots of reflections uh, about this. Well, one of the things that I that I come back to is that you know sometimes knowledge is is hard to swallow. It's not so easy to, and it's not so palatable. And I think some of the knowledge that we've we've been acquiring in the context of the COVID pandemic has been tough to really um, digest, to continue that metaphor, because we've had to um, adapt to this ongoing interrogation and exploration of what is the nature of this virus, um, how does it spread, uh, what are the what are the kind of variables, uh, learning about super spreading, uh, learning about n- new variants, um, learning about the immunity and the difficulties around what which vaccines are going to work and how they're going to work. And there's lots of, lots of unknowns. So I I think our ancestors are saying a lot of things in this really um, tightly scripted proverb about um, what we consume and how we nourish ourselves you know, it also I think speaks to the whole doom scrolling activity that can go on in this day and age, um, and and when we consume a lot of the, the negative news, it really um, takes on a life of its own. It's it's incredibly negative in its influence, and so how we kind of step back from that and go, hang on, what what berries am I eating here? Am I eating, am I eating the kind of nourishing um, a content, or am I um, am I veering off and, and feasting on the kind of um, the junk food of of the social media world, and so yeah, I, I love the fact that these sorts of proverbs are still so relevant in in this very contemporary context.
0: Yeah, so Hinema, I think for me the the myroberry is definitely social media, and I think of. If, if you, That the the infinite scroll of Instagram and Facebook, and you think of the the content that's on there, and a lot of a lot of very kind of craftily placed advertising, and and, and just lots of rubbish really, and it just fills your brain, and uh, it's probably not that nourishing, which is partly why I've kind of disengaged from it uh, quite a lot. But then there's other things that that really do nourish you, that really do give you meaningful knowledge and uh, i think uh, you know so reading for me um so but by having my kindle next to my bedside table and not my phone i, I it forces me to perhaps read something a little bit more uh, that's going to serve me better so um Uh, And I like the idea of also of uh, in the book, you talk about um, chewing knowledge slowly and deliberately, really kind of savoring it, really turning it over in your head. And I think in this age of information abundance, we're constantly being exposed to so many different ideas and thoughts. and They kind of enter our brains and then they leave again. And I think there's a lot to be said for just taking one idea and really mulling it over, really thinking how you can apply that in your own life, applying, reflecting on it, and uh talking to other people about it and it's just just riffing off that that one thing and really going deep with with that single idea rather than just being scattergun with all these kind of uh different different thoughts and and um uh, and little little parcels of knowledge that 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 fly at us in 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 this modern age
1: Mm, couldn't agree more
0: (laughs) okay let's look at number 27 a okay. true friend is someone who reaches for your hand but touches your heart.
1: Yeah. So uh, this is one of my favorites. Um, I'll read it in te Reo Māori. I think it's very beautiful. And even though you can't understand our language, uh, you I think people can feel the the good vibrations, should we put it like that? Uh Kotehua Tsin no ponorawa e e tonaringa kito hengari katitikaha. So what what that's saying, my my modern translation was Aroha goes straight to your heart. You can feel the the in my in my cultural frame of reference, we call it the wairua, this this um, intuition, if you like, this sense, this other sense that we can we can have. It's not hearing, it's not smell, it's not taste, it's not vision. Um, it's not physical touch necessarily. It's this deep sense of connection. And one of the reasons I love this uh, whakatauaki is that we know who coined it, and it was coined by one of our arguably m- most extraordinary teachers of proverbial sayings of modern times, a man called Zefari Huya Milroy, who passed away um, just a couple of years ago. And I've been lucky enough to be taught by him in total immersion Te Reo Maori language um, meetings, like a conference but in a cultural setting. And um, so when I when I read that out, when I think about this, probably I think about him and his incredible legacy, which was to all of us to be um, to advocate for our language, to advocate for our people, and to share the cultural knowledge that he passed on to us. So it's, you know, it's like a relay race, isn't it? You know, your, your teachers, um, and in medicine and health professions, um, we all have an extraordinary legacy of teaching and teachers that pass their knowledge on to us. And then our responsibility, of course, is to pass that on to the next generation of, of health practitioners. So yeah, I love this one so much. And if there's ever a time that perhaps has challenged us to reframe um, connectivity and friendship, it's this era, isn't it, with social distancing. And um, it's really highlighted, I think, for, for everyone that I know, everyone I talk to in my clinics in a, in, a, in a new way, how much we need each other, how much we need connection, how much, Much as we love technology and it enables us to have conversations like this across the world, which is fantastic, we also need face-to-face. We need to share the same air. We need to share the same breath, um, which is something that we do culturally. You would have seen uh, Maori on YouTube videos or on the news doing the hongi, which is where we share the sacred breath. That's our way of greeting each other. And so during COVID, we were not allowed to do this very precious practice. Um, This was something that was forbidden. And this, you know, as such a precious cultural practice, we really struggled. And, And what our leaders harked back to was practices around the time of the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918 and 1919, when we faced similar issues. And so we drew on that knowledge and that tenderness, uh, that um, mutual respect and reciprocity that I think this is, is speaking about to um, bring back some of those precious ways to connect with each other without compromising the, the social distancing that's as part of how we protect each other.
0: Yes, I, I, and and being in sequential lockdowns in the UK, uh, that's mm. really brought home the importance of friendships and uh, that, as you say, that special glue between us that uh, that enriches us so much, and and how important it is to stay connected in some form to those uh, you know our loved ones around us. And we've all been doing that through digital means, but mm. there, there's there's also that. That, that 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 kind of physical transaction you talk about when you reach out to someone's hand they the act of of touch of proximity of the breath of, of the the other senses being activated when you're in the same space as someone you feel their aura uh i i, I that is a, 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 as a medical professional like you and i also a lot of my consulting being by telephone now uh, or by video i really miss that that getting a sense of someone of getting of of feeling their presence, if you like, uh, it, it's just the digital means has been a brilliant lifeline, but for me, it's not been a replacement for all those other kind of richer ways that we connect with one another.
1: That's so true. That's so true. And so I think it has. Um, you know, it's like that that old saying too of uh, you you only recognize what you've lost, how much you needed it when you've lost it, mm. uh, when when it's when it's gone or less available. So um, again, much like what we were saying about looking after our planet and how the planet has come back, um, I hope that in the post COVID-19 era, that we really draw on these experiences and improve our uh, improve the values of our society and improve, you know, well, how do we maximize um, this sense of connection, this this, this sacred um experience of other people when we're in close proximity to them now we exp- now we value it at a whole new level which we didn't before so i'm um, sorry that's my computer making all sorts of terrible noises oh, go <laughs> no away no who are these people um yes I think yeah
0: this-
1: so i i love this one it's very special
0: yes i think this might be a nice moment to bring in um um this idea of uh COVID-19 as a uh, actually no, let's not do this here no we'll edit this bit out and uh, I'll bring this in another time okay let's um okay moment let's move to number 29 sure so to forget one's ancestors is to be a brook mm-hmm. without a source a tree without its roots
1: yeah, this is another classic from Huya Milroy, and um, in Te Reo it goes like this: "Kote te kore. So that's saying without memories of King of genealogy or Matua Tupuna of your ancestors, So it's like a brook without a source. It's like a stream without a, 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 a spring. Kiterako rane kauri onapakiaka a tree without roots. So uh, I think this is just so powerful when we liken our own experience as humans to other aspects of nature. And this is what our our old people do time after time so um, eloquently, is to remind us, you know, how do things grow in the natural world? How do things flow? We are just like those elements. And when we forget where we're from, I suppose, you know, for, for me as, a, as the only Maori child psychiatrist, I, I'm faced with, in my work every day, many of our people because of colonization um, don't know so much about where they're from. And so there's a journey of discovery of that as part of their mental health, as part of their overall health, frankly. And, and I actually think that this is true of not only Māori, but people all around the world where their experiences of, you know, where am I from, who are my people, um, where do I hail from, so much interest in our DNA, ancestry.com, these sorts of um, aspects intrigue people, and and I suppose during during COVID uh, and in the climate emergency situation, which is which is growing in in its um, people are growing in their awareness of the impact, and so they want to know more about their origins. And I think this is is very very important in terms of health and well being, and it's protective. Yes. You know, there's, there's lots of there's lots of research, of course, there's lots of evidence which we do not um, apply. Around um, when people uh, go into nature, uh, there's lots of health benefits. So for me, I extrapolate that to: well, if you can go into nature in the place where you're actually from, this is, um, you know, like like that sort of thing on steroids. This is this is really maximizing the health benefits of yeah. uh, of being in nature.
0: And it's really struck me how in touch with your your own cultural heritage, you are. And I think that's very rare in this day and age. i certainly don't have anywhere near the same level of knowledge or awareness of, of my ancestral roots. And I think, you know, that's something we've, we've all lost in the, in the Western world. Uh, and I can see the real benefit of, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of those that come before us and of knowing who those people were, how they lived and what they stood for, really gives you a, a deeper sense of place and identity in, in, in the world. And yeah. uh, I think that that's really inspired me to, to kind of do some, do my homework and work out who my ancestors are because I really don't know a lot about it, so.
1: Awesome. And yeah. I think, you know, for your, for your son,
0: yeah. for
1: your family, for your wider family connections. And I think the other thing that it does powerfully is that it brings back the sense of guardianship about certain special places. Mm-hmm. So when we learn about our origins hundreds, thousands of years ago, where our people came from, Um, it draws us into the stories of how they came to live in certain parts of the world, the trials and tribulations that they had, um, the survive, you know, we are the survivors of those people. And so I think it draws on a sense of accountability to our relationship with the planet in that way.
0: And also this notion that we will be the ancestors one day and what will yes. our legacy be and how will we be remembered? And I think that's a that's quite a sobering thought and sometimes quite morbid when you when you think about it. You know, we're all going to die. But yep. uh, we, we, you know, we have this opportunity this, this brief spell of being alive and active in the world where we can we can create whatever we want for ourselves and for, for future generations. And, and this is our yep. opportunity to, to seize.
1: And I talk about that in the book too. And yeah. this is, um, you know, inviting people to consider their role as ancestors of the future. And I, I use that clinically. I use that clinically in particular in um, perinatal um, mental health, where I'm working with mums and babies, and mums and dads, and, and other caregivers, and inviting them to think about um, how they respond differently to their role as parents and thinking about baby. As an ancestor of the future. Yeah,
0: how interesting! Yeah, that's a really nice parallel.
1: Really powerful. Yeah. So you know we can we can draw on these stories and these ideas in our clinical practice too.
0: Yes, I'm sure in the Maori communities that you work in that that must really resonate with with those patients. Yeah. yeah okay. Fakatoki number thirty two. My yeah. success is not mine alone. It is the success of the collective.
1: Yeah, this is another real classic. Um, many people know this one here. It, it, it's um, seen in uh, government policy documents even. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a nice one. And I think it's, you know, this sense of no one gets there alone um, is, is very important and so relevant right now. The takitini is the collective part. So you know, thinking about um, our survival as humans on the planet right now, we can't survive alone. Um, we have to survive in groups, and um, you know, feel feel for you guys in the UK right now because um, you're you're right in the thick of it, and um, you know, the government's having to make some some hard calls, necessary calls, in order to to protect people. So, um, how we operate as collectives um, is another major learning, I think, from COVID. And it's also for me about the sense of what if, if, you, if we recognize that survival is collective, how do you build that collective trust? And, and it certainly made me think a lot about how, you know, when, we, when we're delivering messages, when the messages about COVID have been delivered, Various, people, various governments have been better than others about that trusting relationship that they've built. So in in Aotearoa, in New Zealand, we had a daily briefing at one o'clock every day from our Prime Minister and Dr Ashley Bloomfield, who's you know this fantastic um, director of of health, uh, public health, and um, just daily, you know, broken record. Um, Here we are, we are visible, we're open for questions. The whole thing was public. So we could all see the press asking questions, asking tricky questions, asking the questions that we were all wondering about. And this was a very powerful strategy in terms of building trust in the relationship. And, And that's how the message was more effective. And I think we have a lot to learn as scientists, as health practitioners around how we communicate science—we're really generally pretty awful at it, to be honest. Um, it's dry, it's boring, it turns people off. The language is 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 designed to to protect the privileged. Um, so, yes. and one of one of the key learnings from my trip to Antarctica on the Homeward Bound project um, in, at the end of 2019. You know, going onto this going onto this voyage with a hundred other women from science, from all sorts of um, disciplines, we all agreed S- the science itself is necessary but not sufficient. We have to get better at telling the story. Yeah. If we haven't got a good story, well, you know, you could have the cure for cancer, but if you can't communicate that. Really, we're not serving our communities. Yes, we're not absolutely. upholding our, our own mm. um, duty of care.
0: Yes, yeah, so the idea we explored actually with, well, with uh, Professor Beata Kampman and um, um, uh, her colleague at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in a recent live session we did on vaccine confidence. And we were looking yes. at the failure of science to reach um, mm. so many people um, in terms of, communicating the value of of vaccines and, and as a way out of of this pandemic and uh, and, and perhaps the, the science itself is sound but it's the messaging around that that we need to and, and how we communicate it's we almost talk down to people and in, in in medicine we have this term of lay people you know people are non-medics it's like it's military and civilians it's it's this kind of you're in the club or you're not you know you're you're kind of somehow a lower life form if
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's even a huge us. problem. Mm. Yeah, the them and us culture and, and it is so ineffective and we've yep. got lots of evidence that it doesn't work, but we don't always employ that evidence yes. in terms of the translational aspects of, of the work that people do. And there's also this um, the kind of rarefication of, of researchers and research. I work in neuroscience. Mm. You know, neuroscience is super sexy. Everyone's like, oh, can we fund that? But actually, we've already got a hell of a lot of evidence it's what we do with that evidence, mm, and how we demonstrate. Practice. Absolutely, that's a key part. So I, I think that's all in behind this um, particular fakatoki uh, about yes. about collective survival and getting there as a group.
0: And it's never been more important than now during this pandemic, where we really all need to pull together, don't we? We need to. Everyone needs to observe social distancing and all, you know, adhere to the lockdown measures. And we're seeing these kind of certain factions of society who are rebelling against that. And um, I, I think it's, it's in some ways it's down to our, of the political will and and and, and the messaging from the, the the higher echelons of politics and and how they engender that sense of. Uh, collective successor or or failure and it's all it's it's all of us together that, that that creates that and for me this really uh echoes the so there's a there's a another proverb from the stoics from marcus aurelius who is the uh emperor philosopher from 2000 years ago and he his uh little aphorism was what what does not benefit the beehive cannot benefit the bee so this this idea that you, you have to. We're all in it together. You know, we're with this, with this community, global community of 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 human beings, and, and we have to look out for each other. It's not about uh, uh, our own individual interests because if we all thought like that, we'd we're, we're doomed.
1: <laughs> indeed, indeed, yeah.
0: So that's brilliant. And Let's look at number thirty-four now, Hinamoa. So, okay. I love this one. This is, uh, and I'd lo- I'd love you to elaborate. Hope won't get you the crayfish.
1: Yeah. So himanako te koura i Kōra uh, is the maori word for crayfish, and you know we we love. I love. I love crayfish. And my my son's job at Christmas, he always gets crayfish for for the family for the family for Christmas. So that's um delicious. And and I suppose in simple terms, this is about you know when you're going to catch crayfish when you're diving for crayfish they live in little holes. And so, you know, hoping won't get the crayfish out of the hole and into your basket and home for for tea. So you can have all the, the, the hope in the world. You can have all sorts of aspirations, but if you don't actually act, you don't do something, then, then it's all in vain. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's lots of, there's lots of examples of, the talk is cheap kind of way of thinking um and thinking about what what we all do in different ways i mean i attend psychiatric emergencies unfortunately uh, several times a week um many of the people watching and listening are, are dealing with emergencies on a on a daily basis and so we know look if you're gonna if you're gonna deal with an emergency it's about preparation so if you're gonna catch your if you're gonna catch your coda your crayfish Whatever that whatever that um, manifestation means for you, a dream of something, a job, um, some qualification or some experience, then you you are going to prepare for that. Why do we act? You know, why do we act only when we know no one else is going to do it? Do we act only when um, we feel compelled for some reason? It also reminded me of the um, commentary from the World Health Organization today from their leadership saying, the world is on the brink of moral failure. So, and I, and I agree with that statement. And so what are we gonna do about it? We can have all sorts of fancy words in thinking, but we need to act in a, in a constructive, um, well-prepared manner in order to ensure that we, we uphold our moral values. We do make sure that those most in need receive vaccines not only as we're seeing so far, um, you know countries which are already um, pretty affluent So I think there's yes. lots of there's lots of interesting um, reflections that underlie that yes
0: of- I think this is a universal theme within within the kind of well-being space as a whole and I think a lot of you know we know what we should be doing uh, how we can. How we should be better but you know the, all those ideas are espoused but they're very rarely in use and i i, I really like about this fakatoki fakatoki is the this idea of en- engaging your own, own destiny you have to follow through with that with action you you can't just think it you can't just turn it over in your head you actually have to you're defined not by what you think or what you um what you are but actually by what you do and that that is the the, the key the the, the the key here um and i i think we all just need to be bolder in our lives i think we've we've just got to we've got to go and get after it and we we have to be more deliberate and we've got to uh choose our own future and not just hope that the right thing will fall into our laps uh and it's about being a pilot of your own destiny that's that's what it that's those are the kind of the the parts of that 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 really stood out for me and I think that's that's really powerful and January is a great time for us to uh, be finding that kind of direction and and really building up a a, a, this ball of energy that we can then just uh, you know we we can action these these ideas
1: yes totally agree I think we've got another one of your favorites coming up
0: number 39 this is great (laughs) chew on the shit stick
1: yeah, ngawa tepai hamuti. So, um, so literally, ngawa is the verb to noah, and tepai hamuti is um, the name for back in the day, people uh, went to the toilet by sitting on a piece of wood over some sort of cliff or ravine or dip. Um, and That stick was used in um, the the rites of passage of certain of the very highest um, people training to learn about, you know, the the highest kind of ways of thinking and conceptualizing, you know, back in the day, uh, pre-contact with them. Uh, Pakeha people with with uh, European people coming to our country. We had our own universities. We had our own schools of learning about navigation and the stars and the planet and the oceans. All of those things. Um, and so one of the things that the the scholars would be would would have to do as part of these rituals would be to chew on this uh, wooden uh, seat, which was. Um, pretty filthy and so you might be thinking why on earth what what the heck is the lesson here well of course you know um leadership is about um getting down and dirty and not avoiding things that are difficult unpalatable ugly um it's it's about recognizing that there are aspects of life that are really really tough and I'm um, not turning away from that so essentially I'm um, 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 I'm bringing that one forward that's a that's a that's a good kind of uh gritty one it right is.
0: it's all about grit isn't it and there are <laughs> t- definitely times in life where I can think of that that proverbial toilet seat I mean do, do you suggest that your listeners uh, that our <laughs> listeners try and chew their their, their kind of soil toilet seats to to develop a little bit more um Fortitude. The, yes <laughs>
1: certainly not uh, do not try this at home <laughs> this, is, this is just to give you a mental picture of of, of some of the difficult things that our ancestors yes. did yes. in order to reach those heights um, yeah, we don't yeah. you know, we're not expected to do such things anymore
0: and you um, talked about leadership there Hinemo, and I think that is the hallmark yeah. of, of, of the, the, the difference between the good and the great is that the the great leaders of the world are the ones that they will do the difficult things that other people won't and they will resist the things that other people can't resist they will uh, they will do these things they will they'll will just they'll get in amongst it and uh, and they will it's it's about pain management it's about um it's about grit mental fortitude and i think those are just phenomenally powerful qualities that that we um yeah that, that definitely were exemplified in our ancestors your ancestors um and i'm sure in mine if i knew anything about them um <laughs> that we I'm can sure definitely yeah but well i suppose the, the, the obvious um example that springs to mind is the, the second world war I mean, a lot of um my ancestors mm-hmm. uh in recent times were, were fighting in 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 the somme and in uh, in in plains above uh Above mm. Germany, and you know they showed immense. fortune, they had to get up in the air and and, and expose themselves to huge risk, uh, and they really were chewing on the shit stick. But what what they achieved uh, was, um, I suppose, f- f- the free world that, that we know now is is thanks to a lot of the con- individual contributions that that my ancestors made. So there you go. I've made a a quick off the cuff ancestral link. So <laughs> really <laughs> oh, <quite agree.
1: laughs> yeah. Awesome. awesome. Yeah,
0: that's a great one. Okay, number 43. Yep. Talking.
1: Sorry, you yeah. carry on.
0: Yes, talking comes naturally. Silence comes from wisdom.
1: Hmm. it's ko korero. korero. is our word for talking. Nā te nui. It's our, our phrase for wisdom. Called mumu. is about silence. Uh-huh. So I, um, uh, this is from Tifaruhuia as well. Beautiful Fakatowaki from him. Listening is underrated, and so you know I, I, I like to talk about the building listening skills. You know we're very familiar with the, the three R's: reading, writing, arithmetic, right? Listening it doesn't get a look in there. But in fact, listening is such an important skill. I was actually talking to my daughter about this today. We, we, are, we, we don't go through any processes of interrogating our acquiring better listening skills in, in school. Um, we're lucky. And, you know, my, my upbringing um, my, my mother was very um, attuned to these sorts of things. And certainly when we go into our cultural spaces, Marae is a traditional place in our, in our Maori world, you will see the old people listening. And often they look like, as I write in the book, they look like they might be asleep, their eyes are closed, but they're listening intently. And, and so I, I, um, I tend to ask my patients and their, and their families, At some point or another in the journey that we're traveling together to reconsider what's happening with listening within their within their family, within their wider family system. We're generally um, used to thinking about listening to people's words. Okay, that's that's something that we are familiar with. But actually, what I think we what this Fakatoki is inviting us to do more of is listen to what's behind the words, listen to the emotions behind the words, listen to the intentions and the judgments and the the context, the vibe, if you like. Uh, Listen to the entirety of the experience and then listen to yourself about what that is drawing out of you and, and think about why that is. So I think there's just so much that we in in conventional society that that hasn't really come to grips with the power of listening and you you have to be quiet to listen so that's just one of the reflections I have about that particular I
0: think that's so uh, so important and and I suppose in like you say as health uh, as health workers in in that field the the value of. I mean, uh, William Osler, famous, said, "You know, listen to your patient for they are telling yes. you the diagnosis." And That's right. uh, the the um uh, I think the average the, the time that we give patients to speak before interrupting in the most recent research is it's it's around eleven seconds. It's it's no time at all, and um I think that the, the you what you really speak to there is the power of silence. Um, but this kind of active silence where. Uh, and and, you know you're you're not just attuned to what's going on with the the person in front of you but you're attuned to your own emotional milieu and 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 aware of your what responses that evokes in in you and i think that's just such a it's it sounds so simple but it's a real skill it's real art isn't it to be able to do that in in an effective way
1: yes you need to practice it one of the things we do and we, we have these retreats where we're you know we're reclaiming our language and we're, we're learning most of it you know many of us second second language learners right so one of the things that we do is we go and we listen to things we might watch uh, documentaries in our language and then we'll um, summarize so I think a, a key skill that goes alongside what we're talking about around listening is the skill of summarizing which is doctors and health practitioners, we actually, we find our way there, don't we? I mean, on call, you learn very quickly, you have to summarize the consultant as a registrar, otherwise, you know, uh, it gets unpleasant. So <laughs> we learn very quickly, what are the salient points? And you learn that by listening. And, and listening with an ear that is tuned to not thinking about your response. I think that's one of the other things that happens in our society now is that people are not listening freely to, as you say, the whole experience. They're listening and thinking about what am I going to say when this person stops talking, which gets in the way of actually receiving all that data. So long story short, I'm a Big advocate for thinking about how you listen how you listen to yourself and um the art of summarizing yes
0: mm-hmm. and I, I just to bring up that last thing you said i think so much of our listening is listening in in order to respond with we're concerned with what we're going to say next and how we're going to interject when and how we're going to interject not really listening to truly understand uh, and i think there's a big difference there isn't there as, as you've said yeah okay yeah. so num- final this is a great one to finish on uh number yeah. 49 i love this this is if you seek the treasures of the ocean you'd better get wet
1: yeah i love this one too um, if you if you want to seek if you seek these treasures inside the ocean um yeah you got to get wet. And and so I, um, as I said, I was in Antarctica at the end of 2019, and we went for a swim. We're in the Antarctic Peninsula uh, group of 100 women in science. The goal of homeward bound is to have a thousand women scientists go to Antarctica over 10 years. So I was in the fourth cohort, and you know it really um, gives you a rude shock getting into the getting into the ocean in Antarctica. It's it's pretty cold, right? As you would imagine. So, um, it really, it really brought home to me the, the potency of this, uh, You, you've got to act, you've got to get wet, you've got to get involved, you've got to participate. It's not theoretical. Um, life is not theoretical. And I think, you know, sometimes as, as medics, as health professionals, we can, um, Stand back sometimes and have and, and sometimes that's important, but we are protected in all sorts of ways. And and there are all sorts of reasons perhaps that keep us from getting more involved. You know, when I when I was going through medical school, it feels like a thousand years ago, um, there there were a lot of um messages, covert and overt messages, you know, doctors don't talk to the press we don't talk about you know we don't talk about what we do it's very tightly constrained there are only certain people who will do that and it was there was a sense that that wasn't what we should be doing and i think um certainly more and more in the covid um context we have a duty of care to communicate um, about the needs of our communities the, the diverse needs that they face um, and and because we have a certain authenticity that comes from advocating for our patients' needs and their families' needs and the community's needs, don't we? And we really um, can't hide behind any of those, those things anymore, I don't believe. So that's another good lesson from COVID, is yeah, health practitioners, we got to get, the, get wet, get involved, um yes involved yeah yeah Sorry.
0: covid is just throwing up so many opportunities for for growth isn't <laughs> it and, and <laughs> i think for me this uh, this is something i want a uh, world extreme medicine that we really want to try and promote is that idea of um of just getting out there getting in amongst it and uh you know we are an organization that celebrates people that that mm-hmm. won't just accept the status quo that that won't uh that that a shoe convention and we know that in, in the medical uh kind of sphere there's there's just so many uh, unfortunately so many people that are trapped perhaps in in roles that um they're not happy with um and that they feel a bit kind of constrained and it that their role that they're having it, in healthcare and in life isn't really an, an ex, a true expression of themselves and they're not really able to Unleash their potential, and through the the, the 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 world of extreme medicine, there's just so many different opportunities and avenues that you can go down that that can give you that true expression, that that that, that greater meaning, where you can make that the the, the, the contribution that really um, uh, is 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 the highest contribution that you can make and in, in the world. So that there's just there's just tons of amazing opportunities. Whether that is going on an ocean medicine course like like Hinomoa, uh, or whether it's going out to the desert or the jungle, whether it's going and volunteering with the sans San frontier, or, you know, just um, it, it's just good to know that these opportunities are, are, are out there and, and you're, you're, you're never, you're never stuck.
1: That's right. That's right. And that we all have unique skills to bring to those settings. Yeah. Very much so. So I, I love that, um, that energy and that openness that world extreme medicine offers to people, you know, there are, There are plenty of courses that that can suit anyone, um, whether they're sort of, you know, at at different points in their career. So when people might feel a bit bogged down, um, they they can shift things around and try something different.
0: Now you can mix it up and, and, and dive into the freezing waters of the Antarctic if you wish. <laughs> <No>. Yes. <laughs> so, moment, tell us that one thing I love about these Aroha is that you, uh, lots of other ancient teachings, it's very much the mm. ancients are put on a pedestal. They've written these, these mm. books. I mean, for example, the Bible, the Quran. Nobody's going to mm. go and repen either of those, <laughs> those great texts. They are untouchable. But the difference mm. with this is that we, we are those. Ancestors of the future that we have the opportunity to write history, and we can write our own aroha. Uh, that that's okay. So so, how can our listeners create their own aroha? Give us some uh, some pointers.
1: Okay, sure. So at the end of the book, I I, I wondered um, about. Yeah, people being creative and using their creative talents to write their own whakatauki with Aroha for themselves, for for their families, for the planet. And so it's very simple. You just take the letters of the word Aroha, A-R-O-H-A. So A, the first A, allow. Allow yourself time to stop and take notice for your own pleasure, for your own growth. Stop, allow yourself to stop. Ah, reflect on your favorite elements of nature. Maybe go back to childhood and think about a special time as a child. Maybe maybe there was a, a little park near where you grew up, um, which, was, which was a happy place, uh, had a tree, um, special playground at school, or maybe a river or a lake or by the, by the beach. And um, just think about the birds there, the clouds, whatever really struck you, the smells of that place. And then oh, organize some words, some phrases about that favorite place, about that the images, the most vivid images that come into your mind when you remember it. And write those down. Just have a, you know, have a play with the words. Some people like doing mind maps or or draw a picture if you prefer. Um, that that takes you back into that zone and then H habits Think about these phrases and these words that you've conjured up from your from your memories of, of nature that's meaningful to you and think about what they might say about your habits. So if it's um, you know the movement of certain leaves in a tree when you were growing up was that, a, that about joyful giggling as a child or was that was that about laughter or uh, dancing or you know, like whatever strikes you about your way of being or your aspiration of being or a lesson that you feel that nature from that time was trying to teach you. And then the final A of Aroha, apply. Apply this um, phrase, these group of words, this little poem, if you like. Apply that to your to your daily life. Think about, oh, um, that, that's something I've written for myself, about my connection with my past, with the landscape of my childhood, maybe of my ancestors. Um, how do I apply that to my life now? How might I pass that on to um, my children or children that, I, that I'm involved with their lives, um, my, my students even? if you teach um, younger people. So that's Aroha, A-R-O-H-A. That's the sort of journey of how you can construct your own pakatoaki written by you uh, with Aroha, this compassion and care and fierce love that you have for yourself, other people, and the planet, Mother Earth.
0: You know that is it's, it's truly wonderful, and it—I it, think it's just really liberating for people to know that they can create their own, their own fakatoki, their own um, little rules for living. You know, we're so perhaps um, constrained by all these the quotes that come from people we perceive as wiser than ourselves from all different parts of society. And we, we've got few I'm sure committed to memory, but you can write your own that apply to your life that enshrine your own system of values and, and the legacy that you want to leave uh, on the world so it's a creative process and it's a very practical philosophy i just think it's been a real pleasure and i've uh, learned a huge amount f- from you today in mercy thank you so much for your for your time sharing uh these at uh, this ancient maori wisdom with us today
1: you're very welcome have a wonderful day and it's been uh, it's been great to share this conversation with you. And just yeah. quickly,
0: people want to learn more about this subject, about about um, aroha in general. Where, where where would they where should they go?
1: Well, um, the the book is out in the UK, Ebury Press, Penguin Random House. Um, you can get it online. It's on Amazon UK. And um, there's lots of resources actually. If you go on YouTube and have a look at Fakatoki, uh, you will find um, many, many resources there too.
0: Hinemoa, thank you.
1: You're welcome. Kauiti.